Good morning, Reach Church. Those who are headed to Reach Kids can head off now. And please pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as the God of all grace. That you've had mercy upon us in Christ. That you have shed your blood that we might be right with you. And Father, we thank you that you have been ours uh, because, because you have chosen us by Christ and in Christ. Father, I ask that this time would be a time of great rejoicing. That we would remember the glory of you and how that compares to our sinfulness and how righteous you are and how you have justified us in Christ. Father, these things can, can feel very distant, but I ask that you would, by the Spirit, give us great joy in our salvation, that we would rejoice and glorify you with all of our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, we are in Romans, and it's been a good time so far. Now, last week, last week we talked about how we can foster hearts that are, are truly obedient that obedience would flow from our hearts into our lives. It would be something that, that happens independent of us. But we also saw how that kind of obedience happens independent of religion, of the law, of just kind of a, a vague superficial obedience. We saw how actually the, the Jews are no better off. And that they would be condemned for not having obedience flowing straight from their heart. Now, that brings kind of the natural question of this passage. And the question is, then why do we have to be so religious? What's the benefit of being a Jew? What's the benefit of having the law? What's the benefit of having to be circumcised? The Jews gave themselves fully and completely to obeying the law, to doing all the rituals, and yet here is Paul saying it actually doesn't make them any more obedient. They're going to be judged all the same. So that's the question of this passage. What, what's the point of being a Jew? And for us, what's the point of being religious? Why do we go through religious rituals? Why do we go through the reading of our Bibles? Why do we go to Bible studies? Why have we given ourselves to these practices? That's our question today. And I hope you're feeling that question because you have to sit here every Sunday. <laughs> and this is a real question for you. And the problem is that these religious activities can be misconstrued. They can, they can cause us to deceive ourselves and think that there's kind of truths about us which are not actually reality. Or they can make us feel incredibly oppressed, like we're not good enough. Or they can, on the other hand, make us feel like we are too good and that we are better than everyone else. So today we're asking the question, why do we do the religious stuff? The religious aspect of Christianity, why do we take part in it? So we're going to see three things, three things. We go through the religious stuff to put the righteousness of God on display to put the righteousness of God on display. Secondly, to stop every self-righteous mouth. And third, we do this religious stuff 
so we haven't all realized how much we need the righteousness of God. All right? If you saw a theme there, it's righteousness. Manifesting righteousness. Abandoning self-righteousness and then seeking the righteousness of God. So let's look at Romans 3. Romans 3. And we're actually looking at all of Romans 3. So I'm not going to read it in full right now. We're going to read it as we go and come to see what Paul is actually getting at in this passage. But turn there. Keep your Bibles open. You're going to need it. It'll help you. And we're going to see exactly what this religious life is supposed to look like. All right, so first of all, first of all, we have these religious rituals to put the righteousness of God on display. Look at chapter 1, or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. Here's the question. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? There's too much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now behind this question, we have to see what, what are they getting at behind the question? Paul just said that certain Jews, certain religious types, would be under judgment. That they don't have a corner on the righteousness of God. That they're, they're going to be judged alongside everyone else. And they're asking this question, then what was the point? What was the point of doing all this religion? Because the assumption is, I thought, that, I thought that we were special. I thought that we were more righteous. I thought that we were better off for doing all this stuff. And why did we have to keep all these laws? Wasn't that so we'd be righteous in your sight? And why did we have to be circumcised? I thought that was supposed to give us kind of a, a leg up that we'd get into heaven, uh, and kind of ahead of the line, as it were. They're assuming that they're better off for their religious rituals. And Paul is saying, actually, no, you're not. You're not. You do have an advantage, though. What, what is the advantage, he tells them? Look here. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were given the oracles of God. Now, what does that mean? The oracles are the, the secrets of God, the revelation of God. So they're given, they're given the story of God's redemption. They know the story of the Exodus. They know the story of, of the manna from heaven, the water from the rock, the crossing of the Red Sea. They know the story of how God saves his people. They know the character of God. They know that he is merciful, that he is gracious, but also that he is, he is wrathful. He is perfect. He is holy. And then most of all, they have the prophecies. They have the prophecies of God. And they've heard that God is going to come. He's going to give his people new hearts, new spirits, new lives. He's actually going to come and redeem everything, restore everything, make everything new. They thought that because they were the religious ones, that they were going to put the... the righteousness of God on display in their own lives, that they were special, that they were just so righteous. And Paul, he breaks it down and actually says, no, it's that you possess this knowledge of the righteousness of God. You know this God who is righteous and who is perfect and who is holy. That's what makes you different. It's that you know God 
the special one, not because you yourselves are special. And you can kind of feel that the blow that that would have been to them. Because all along, they thought they were special in and of themselves. That they were the chosen people. And now they're hearing that actually, actually it was never about them. It was about their God. Because they would go around, they would go around saying, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm the cho chosen, chosen one of God. And God, God turns around and he says, you know what? You know why I chose you? Because you were the most stubborn people I could find. <laughs> you were the most stiff-necked people. And if I was going to show my grace and my mercy to anyone, it's going to be clearest with you guys. Because you are the least righteous and the least faithful. You are the worst of the worst. And here, here they are going around, yeah, oh, I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm great. Or they're going out, uh, yeah, I was, I was circumcised, circumcised on the eighth day. And Paul's saying, you know, you know what that really means to be circumcised? It means like you were so unclean, we'd like cut a piece of you off to be in the presence of God. And what that represents is that there's blood upon your head, there's blood upon every child who comes after you. For generation and generation, you are under judgment. That's what circumcision is. And that eventually way down the line, that, that blood debt is going to be paid. And here they are saying, oh, yeah, we're the circumcised. No, it's proof of their, their unrighteousness. And it's not because of them. It's because of God. God chose them to show his righteousness and his faithfulness. So then look at, look at verse 3. They're saying, well, well, but how could some of us be unfaithful? Verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. It's a confusing verse. It's essentially saying that, you know what? I can show myself to be righteous, even if you are unrighteous. And I'll use your unrighteousness to show how righteous and faithful I am. There's actually no way of, of avoiding your role. That you will put the righteousness of God on display, either negatively or positively. But it's not about you. It's about the righteousness of God portrayed to the people. Now what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? We are, we are the religious we are the religious. If you are here this morning, you're in the religious crowd. And you're more Jew than you are Gentile. And I have to break it to you guys. You are not special. You are not like the, the righteous and holy ones. We together are the only ones who could be convinced that we are total terrible sinners. And when we go into the world, we portray that. God uses our unrighteousness to put his righteousness on display. That we can say, yeah, he even saved me. He had mercy on me. He had grace on me. That's the point. That's why he chooses his people, his religious people.
right, so uh, we can't go around boasting about our religious activities. You're, you're thinking, well, yeah, I go, I go to church every week. You go to church every week because it takes you less than a week to forget about the gospel. And we come here every week to be reminded, oh, right, right, it's about Jesus, not me. It's about his righteousness on the cross, not about me. And you're saying, well, uh, I go to Bible study too. Yeah, because you could make it less than a week. <laughs> and you need it a little bit more. <laughs> you need to be reminded like halfway through just to, just to make it through. And you're saying, well, oh, yeah, but I read my Bible every day. It's because you need it every day. You need the grace of God every single day. You need the cross every single day. There is no superiority in being a Christian, in being called to be the people of God. It's exactly the opposite. And now, okay, so then, then Paul goes on and says, well, but God, if, you, if, you're using, if you're using all this unrighteousness, then aren't we excused? Don't we, don't we kind of get a pass? But yeah, you can, you, you're using my sin to show the world your righteousness. Well, shouldn't I get an excuse then? He, he just clarifies that up in case you were thinking that, which you weren't. Verse 5, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could ju God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. He's essentially saying that, yeah, some, some religious people will be put on display as the unrighteous that God has had mercy upon, that he's had patience with, that he's, he's put up with even his sinful people for so long. But at the same time, he says, that's no excuse, though. Judgment will come that I can put my righteousness on display through you, but you will also be judged. So, you are the people of God. We are the people of God. We are the religious to put the righteousness of God on display. We have the treasure of God's righteousness. We have it in our word. We have it in his laws. That doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's in us. We need to shift that focus. All right, next point, next point. Doesn't mean we're any better than other people. Doesn't mean that we're righteous in ourselves. What does it mean? He puts us, points us to the law next. And Paul says, your, your religion, your law is particularly focused and the point of it is to stop every self-righteous mouth to stop every self-righteous mouth. All right, look at verse 9. So the question gets a little more specific. They're saying, well, okay, yeah, we have an advantage in that we have, we have the law, we have, we have this righteousness story of God. But specifically, how does it help me? What then? Are we Jews any better off? Do we have an advantage before God? Do we have an advantage to get into heaven? And what does he say? No, not at all. Not at all. 
Going to church. No advantage at all. Reading your Bible. No advantage at all. Praying every day. No advantage at all. That religious activities in and of themselves get us nothing before God. Why? Why? Keep reading verse 9. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their, t- their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are, shift to, are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why religion doesn't help you get anywhere with God. Because this is true of you. Because this is true of you. Alright, for a little, little theological lesson... This is, what, this is the, the best verses for what we commonly call total depravity. Total depravity. This means everyone is dead. Everyone is spiritually dead in their sin. So, sin, sin is like a, it's a poison. And it gets into every one of us. And that poison spreads. And the poison gets into every aspect of our being. So every thought, every action, every motivation, every emotion is poisoned a little bit by sin. Everything, everything is poisoned. And if that's the case, if that is humanity, then we can't just throw religious deeds at it. Praying doesn't help that. Going to church doesn't help that. That the problem is is a lot deeper down. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. All right, what does the law do? What's the point of the law? The law is not to make you righteous. The point of the law is to convince you that verses 11 through 18 are true. You are under the law to be convinced that you are under sin, that you are enslaved to sin, that sin is destroying you, that you are being crushed by sin. That's the point of the law. And so when we read the law, we're not supposed to be looking and then like checking off the boxes like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I did A, B, and C. No, you're supposed to see that you are, you are nothing. That we are totally dead in our sin. That we cannot do the law. That's the point. And if you're reading the law and getting all excited about it, then you're reading it the wrong way. We are to despair over our sin that every mouth may be stopped. Alright, some of you don't believe this. Some of you don't believe this. 
uh, you think that you're thinking, well, uh, there's, there are people who do good. I've seen good things happen. I've seen people do good things. I would challenge you and say, you haven't seen their hearts. That God does see the heart. And that deep down, that he sees the, the motive for each of these good things. He sees the thoughts behind people. He sees the emotional tone by which they do things. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we have to admit that if we judge ourselves by that standard, we've never done good. That we've always had ulterior motives that we've always been slightly selfish or really, really been fighting for ourselves, not for God's glory. Do you believe this about yourself? That you are not righteous, that you do not understand, that you do not seek God, that you do not do good? If not, then you need to read the law. And try to do it. So, let's take the, the golden rule to love others as you love yourself. All right, what that means is, hey, let's see if you tried it. If you tried it for 24 hours, and every person you encounter, you have to love as you would love yourself. So you, have to, you have to give to them as they would want to be given to, as you would want to be given to. That you, you would take care of them as you would want to be taken care of. That you're passionate about their desires as you are passionate about your own. We try to do this for 24 hours. You couldn't do it. We try, try to do it for, for 10 minutes and you drive by a homeless person and you're like, uh, no, I'm done. I'm done. Tap me out. Like, oh, I should like give him a house and feed him and we're done. That's how we're supposed to read the law. It's supposed to bring us to an end to ourselves. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Read the law and know that you are not righteous. We're racking up debt with God. Every sin, every sin is debt. And we're getting more and more in the hole. And we try to pay off the debt. And we say, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice to this person. So I, can, so I can move up a little bit. Get some positive income. You know what God says? God says, well, uh, actually, actually, that was done for yourself. It was selfish. It was self-motivated. So it, it actually counts as more debt. <laughs> and you just, we just keep going down. We're getting deeper and deeper in the hole. That's what the law is supposed to show us. And that's why we should, we should despair of any religious rituals that are going to help us with that. That we can even do religious rituals to, to try to win favor with God. Or to be self-righteous or to boast before men. And we're getting deeper and deeper in the hole. Every mouth is stopped. Every mouth is silenced. Do you feel it? This is how you use the law. We are silenced. 
All right, but thankfully, thankfully the, the passage goes on. So yes, once we are all silenced, we're exactly where we need to be. Because then God can actually speak and we will listen. That's what religion is supposed to get us to. That we see the righteousness of God on display. We see that we have no righteousness and we are then ready for God to speak. Religion has all set us up for this. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Independent, completely independently of keeping the law, a righteousness has been revealed. And oddly enough, it has been there the whole time in the Law and the Prophets. That we religious types like to focus on keeping the law. And try to keep the law and make ourselves all about the law. When there was something more beautiful there from the beginning. There was something hidden in the law that we were supposed to see. The righteousness of God. A righteousness of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And that, that righteousness is by, by faith and not by works. Verse 22. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All right, that's a lot. That's a lot. What on earth do we do with that? All right, let's break this down. We're justified. By his grace as a gift. What does grace mean? Grace means a gift. So he's gifted us by a gift, this gift that is a gift. All right, are we all clear about that? You didn't do anything to earn the gift. It is a gracious gift. It is a, a favorable gift. All you did was not merit this gift. That's all you did to get it. All right, gracious gift. Gracious gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to redeem? It's just to buy back someone who's in debt. So we talked about the, the sinking down, sinking down. Jesus comes and purchases our debt. He buys us out. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was purchasing by his blood our redemption. Paying the debt. Finally, God put him forth as a propitiation. A propitiation. Now you guys all know that word, so I'm not going to go over that. No, I'm not kidding. Candy thought it was funny. Uh, that works. Um, propitiation. All right, what's, what's it mean to... I'm not going to ask you. Uh, a propitiation is a sacrifice that makes someone propitious. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> All right, what does it mean to be propitious? Okay, uh, to be propitious is to, to have favor, to, to be satisfied, to be pleased. And God, God is not typically propitious. He's not propitious with us. He is wrathful. He is, he is demanding his payment for sin. He's angry. He's not propitious. 
And so what Jesus did, Jesus on the cross became our propitiation. He became a sacrifice to please God, to satisfy God. So then, when God looks at us, he has favor. He is pleased. He doesn't see the debt. There's no wrath left. He has poured out all his wrath on Jesus Christ. And now God can have favor, can be pleased, can just enjoy us and be satisfied with us. Now, why did he do that? The theme, the theme of this verse, there's this whole passage, is righteousness. We are here to put his righteousness on display. We are here to, to never be self-righteous again. And finally, look what it says in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sin. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We said before that God uses the unrighteous people to show his righteousness. This is how he does it. This is how he does it. He shows himself to be so righteous that he can actually be destroyed by unrighteousness and still give us his righteousness. That he is just. He does pour out his wrath. He never becomes the cuddly, fluffy God that we wanted him to be. He is just. He's just just against Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, he becomes just to fire. He is the one who makes us perfect, who makes us good, who makes us right with God. He is just and justifier in Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's the point of religion this Christian religion at least, is that we would stop trying to justify ourselves and seek the God who justifies us in Jesus Christ. That we'd stop trying to be right ourselves or good ourselves or perfect ourselves and we'd seek it instead in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean for all of us? What are the, the practical take-homes here? There's... There's one very specific one that Paul gives us. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It kills all of our pride. That as religious people, we are proud. And we like to boast about the fact that we are good. And we like to boast about the fact that, that we do things that other people don't. He's saying, if you... If you really understand the gospel, you will never boast again. Because you didn't do anything. It was all by faith. It was all by Jesus. The only reason that you're religious was so that you would see that you have no grounds for boasting and you would look to Jesus. We don't get to look down on non-believers. We cannot. And we must not. And we don't get to look down on each other. That, oh, oh you, you're not doing as much as I'm doing. I, no. There's no room for that. That Jesus did all of it, and we're done. We stop talking, we stop boasting, we stop defending ourselves, we stop comparing ourselves. 
Because verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That it's only by faith. All right. Now let's zoom out a little bit. Let's zoom out a little bit. We're talking about how we might fulfill the law. How we might with joy fulfill the law with obedience. This is step number one. Step number one is you'd realize that you have no righteousness in yourself, that you cannot justify yourself, that Jesus Christ has done everything. That's the first step in being righteous. Verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. That we receive righteousness from Jesus once and we receive it every single day, every moment. So we're not done yet. Romans isn't done yet. We don't get to stop there. We need to learn how does this translate into righteousness of our own, into heartfelt obedience. And we're not there yet. But start here. If you don't start here, you're done. And you don't get anywhere else. Let's pray. Father, we are the religious. And Father, we, we recognize that we often misuse the religious rituals, the law, the, the commandments to be superior. And Father, we repent of that now. We confess that, Father, we... We cannot be righteous independent of you. We ask that when we read the law, we would see our inadequacy. We would see how much we desperately need you. And Father, would we despair of our own righteousness and seek it in Jesus Christ? Father, I ask that you would protect us from boasting. Would you stop our mouths? And Father, would you instead give us a, a great spirit of, of boastfulness in Jesus? that we'd boast in your righteousness, that we'd boast in what you've done, and we'd boast in who Jesus Christ has been to us, that we've received great grace, and we've received your righteousness. Father, as we go to the Lord's Supper, we ask that this would not be a ritual, that this would not be some kind of dead proof of our own righteousness, but Father, that we'd be reminded of how desperately we need you, and how desperately we need the cross, how desperately we need your blood. Father, would we rejoice in your grace and not in our works. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.